Welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family. So guys, welcome back to another show the coaching family soccer coaching podcast the coach the podcast of coaches all around the world who uh, want to get better back again uh, my good friend glenn how you doing glenn i'm very well thanks mate good to be back and we've got thanks good to have you back mate and we've got a very special guest uh, kevin mcgreeskin um been coached all around the world worked in the pro game been technical director many you know federations around the world and uh how long have you been coaching for kev just first of all just a bit of that show us rage too, too long, too long. Um, yeah. I think I, I, I took my very first coaching course in 95. I think um, an old mentor of mine at Hearts, uh, Bobby Jenks, uh, did some of the work for the Scottish FA with the, the um, coaching courses. And uh, he got me on to what was called the e-license back then, the early touches thing, uh, which was for young kids. And the d-license, he got me started that way. And so that was great. So yeah, a long time. I just give us literally a whirlwind. Give us twenty seconds of you know. Give us some of your career highlights. What you've been doing around the world. Where you've been coaching and stuff. Uh, yeah, I've been really lucky. Been coached all around the world. I've been the technical director of two countries: uh, the Bahamas and the Cook Islands, both little paradises. Um, I've also worked in Canada and in the youth soccer environment up there as a technical director. A club of over seven thousand players. And uh, also worked, uh, coached at Dundee United and Partick Thistle in the men's game, the professional game in Scotland. And um, most recently was coaching down in uh, Mexico with Club America Femenil the, in the Women's Professional League in Mexico. So it's Fantastic, mate. So good. So you know what you're talking about. That's good. So you've been around, been around, <laughs> the, uh, been around a bit. So look, we're going to have a little chat today. I mean, before we get to, before we start, just for all the listeners, this, this is just a podcast for soccer coaches. We're all soccer coaches here. We don't pretend to know all the answers. We just, you know, got, uh, coaches that have been around a little bit and try and give our opinion and not shy and giving our opinion. So, but we, the, the, uh, the focus of today's show, the topic of today's show is scanning. And um, if you don't know, as well as being obviously a you know, well-qualified coach, uh, Kevin is one of the world leaders in this particular area of scanning here. So, would be great. I'd great uh, opportunity to get him on and just to talk about his new book he's written as well, which is obviously all about scanning as well. So um, just tell us a bit that, Kevin. How did you get involved in, you know, how did you become uh, one of the leading lights in this area? Um, well, leading lights, you're, you're being kind. It's been a passion of mine for, you know, over 20 years. But it's something that I thought about. I was the mad, wacky professor type of coaches. I tried to challenge my players in different ways. Um, Essentially, so they didn't just look at the ball. You know, I, I felt the players didn't look away from the ball often enough and tended to ball watch. So I, I tried to, to get them looking a bit more to really help with their decision making so they could have that decision in their head before they even got the ball. Um, and things have, you know, morphed, changed uh, over the years where I've, I've managed to progress and adapt and advance my ideas and. And the great thing is there's some fantastic people working in this this area. That There's some great research out there now. And uh, other people applying their trade and putting their own thoughts and their own slant on it as well. So so it's, it's a really great place to be. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it's quite in vogue, isn't it? As they say, it's, it's, mm. very, it's quite topical now. You see a lot of social media. I see a lot of top players. It's something which is highlighted. And I always, always thought, we, we spoke about this before, is that it's quite difficult because almost it's one of those areas where it's been quite difficult in my coach career. He's talking about to try and quantify it, to sort of, you know, say, right, how are you going to coach scanning? And it's all, you know, it's one of the very difficult areas, which is, I suppose, you know, up in the air, basically. So, you know, you know so uh, it's always been one of those things that can be quite a challenge. What's your thoughts on this area, Pixie? I think that's one of the biggest things you said there. So I think, so sports science, for example, has exploded the last 20 years, but from a sports science point of view, if you're trying to build body mass, for example, or increase someone's speed or whatever it is, change their diet, I think it's all very, very measurable and it's black and white. I can only weigh a certain weight or be a certain height at one time. And I think that part there, even as experienced as you get, so I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, because you can't really measure it. How do you get inside a footballer's brain? You can only see the consequences 
of what their football thoughts are or what their intent is. So I think I think that's one of the, the biggest things to be honest. So and I think it's a it's an area that we all, no matter how experienced we get, we have to keep giving it more thought. And it's sometimes the more you dig so the more complex it gets. And you've almost got to go through that complexity to under, try and learn about the brain and learn about stuff that are not naturally taught to us coaches because it's used to be, you know, I've done my first coaching course as well, I think year 2000, and um, balls, bibs, cones. And, you know, now we know it's a lot more than that, you know, developing children as learners first and foremost. And, you know, a lot of it, I've said it before, and you've got to coach from their, their shoulders up. We've got to coach the brain a bit more. So if we've got to coach that a lot more, we've got a lot of understanding to do. So that would be my starting point in terms of research a bit more. And let's, let's get a bit of, bit of knowledge across the board on this, really. Um, what's it, before we come back to you, Kev, what's, my, my old thoughts about this as well, because it becomes so in vogue, but then it's, it's almost as we live in a binary society. People say, right, you know, it's all about scanning. You know, it's all about getting your head up, getting decision making. Don't do any ball mastery. Don't do any technical work. You know, what I mean, we've almost, you know, some some of the uh, some some of the people in those camps. So, Kev, why don't you? You're the specialist. Why don't you break it down for us and give us a bit of a, you know, idea about how it works, what what the, what the background is, and you know, what's that last statement I made? What do you think about that? Uh, well, well, the thing is, so um, we, we all know what actually all works together. You know, what works together, you you, you can't. You, I can help somebody be the best scanner in the world, but if they can't control and pass the ball, they're only going to be effective. You know, um, if they can't uh, use their, their expertise, if they haven't got the repertoire of technique available to them to then make use of the decisions based on what they see, then they're still only going to be an effective player. Um, so the, the, my thing is how, how often players actually just focus on the ball and, and it's, it's a habit. You know, and it's a habit that we need to try and break that they focus on the ball too much. And this is largely because our training sessions have allowed them to only ever focus on the ball. And unfortunately, that becomes the, the habit we then encourage. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm not the first person to say that looking away from the ball is important. You know, people have known that throughout the history of football. Just maybe the way I look at it, it's a bit different. The way that I would try and train it's a bit different. And what we've got now is tying in with sports science thing that Glenn mentioned is that we're getting data there now. You know, we're getting research. Gears Jordan's done some fantastic research. He's the leading light in the academic sphere of this this topic, and he's put some great statistics and data to that that have shown effectively that the more you look about the more passes you complete, the, the better player that you are. Um, like Glenn says, you don't get, just by counting how often they look about, doesn't it get you into exactly the decision process, but it tells you that the player's informing their decision process. And I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's it really, isn't it? And, you know, I've never chatted in the past, but I mean, you, you, you talk about, you know, the, the same examples are using it. People talk about, I know in your book, you talk about Chavi. He's, he's known as the best, you know, the, the, one of the best scanners in terms of the amount of times he's looking for the ball before he's receiving Lampard, Gerard, those sorts of things. You know, that clip of Lampard, you know, looking over his shoulder, you know, so many times is, you know, been regurgitated in the media so much. So, questions then is, is it nature or nurture? Or is this Glenixie's famous uh, uh, quote, no, nature and plus nurture, do you know what I mean? So how, does, how do you think about that, Kevin, in terms of like, you know, looking at those, what can we learn from a Chavi, you know what I mean, and can we replicate that in our young players? Uh, the nature of the nurture debate is quite interesting um, because I think we learn everything that we do. Um, but if you want to go, well, people develop it naturally, it probably still needs to be polished and refined. Um, but I'm a big believer that players develop as the environment dem demands development. And if we want players to look around more, we've got to create environments that encourage or even force them to look around more as part of the, the constraints within the session. And the simple thing that nature be nurture, like we all know how to cross a road when we, you know, what do we do when we cross the road? You look both ways, don't you? Yeah, you look both ways. Yeah. Um, but if we are back in the UK, when we come across the road, our scanning pattern will be right, left, right. Okay? But if you go to North America, the scanning pattern will be left, right, left. Why? Because of the side of the road that people drive on. 
right? Um, so there you go. You've got something, but your environment has then allowed you to develop the habit that, that suits you best. Because many a time when I'm delivering on the coaching courses for the Irish FA, we would stay in the little university complex in the evening after the lectures. We would go down to the little pub just across the road, Cutters Wharf, we'd all chat football over there. But anybody from outside the UK that was on that course, the first time they came to that road that they had to cross, completely disorientated. They would go, oh, you know, what way am I meant to look? Now, after a few seconds or after a couple of times of crossing the road, they then you know, switch their habit, change their habit more appropriate for the environment they're in. But that's because they've got the fundamental principles of how to cross the road safely. But it just shows you how um, important your environment is. Like, and like even simple things like how quickly you move your eyes. Um, people in the UK um, or people in North America will move their, be able to move their eyes if they were to measure their eyes for probably move their eyes more quickly right to left than they do left to right. You go to a Middle East country, it'll probably be the other way about. They'll move their eyes more quickly left to right than they do right to left. And that comes through a training process that we've all had over the years, which is reading, mm -hmm. you know? We read so and, and... Yeah, so, so again, take, you've been trained. Yeah, so I take, so I take two things from that. I'm going to bring Glenn back in, but so you're talking about obviously, um, you know, habits, mm -hmm. you know, it's the developing habits, positive habits, and also then, you know, challenging players, you know, deliberate practice, basically, right? Deliberate practice to challenge players to get their head up. Glenn, what's your thoughts on, them, on that area, any of that? Yeah, the, uh, the whole crossing the road thing, I've used it a few times in my sessions with young kids as, as like an analogy, like uh, Kev said there. And apparently there's a stat on road safety, so about, children at a certain age if they do get run over they've normally seen the car before they actually got run over because kids are actually quite attentive i know sometimes they run out but but apparently it's the whole depth perception thing that hasn't developed as well so they'll see the car they'll look left look right and they'll see a car and they'll take a chance i'm going to cross the road unfortunately what they misjudge as well which is what develops a little bit later in us as human beings is the depth perception, the ability to read movement, distance, speed, time, and putting that whole equation together. And if you think about it in relative football terms as well, so yes, we're encouraging the look left, look right, or can you look into midfield for the pass, or can you look at your forward Jamie Vardy running behind? But then there's a lot of stuff going on there in terms of time. You know, how fast is Vardy travelling, or how fast is that car travelling? Um, how big's the gap? How much space have you got to drop it into? And I think. Because there's so much going on so in, our, in our brain, this is why I think it needs more attention. And um, going back to the physical side of it, you know, it's really openly encouraged for, for children to do multi-sports, for example, at a young age. So if children are encouraged to go gymnastics on a Wednesday night, I think to myself, what other stuff are we encouraging them to do to develop their perceptual skills or develop their brain thinking, like playing chess, for example, one night a week, just in terms of thinking as a skill. Do you know what I mean? And I think... That's where we've got to get to, like Kev says. I think children, all of us really, or human beings, are really a product of our environment, like Kev said. So it's maybe a case of how much can we really intentionally expose children to developing these skills, like we now, and we never used to, We like we do encourage playing basketball or playing tennis for the lateral movements or, or playing multi-sports. I think we've got to get to that point. If we really want this to become the norm that we're producing David Silvers, Phil Follins, and these magical perceptive, perceptive players, or even Van Dyke, for me, is an exceptional perceptive player. I think we've got to develop that really open environment to, to develop them skills in everyday life as well. Absolutely. So, Kev, then give us a break it down then, mate. So tell us then practically how does that work then, you know? And how do you, you know, take us for a typical one of your sessions and how does that help improve scanning? Well, I mean, uh, so, I mean, uh, scanning, you know, there's um, key times when a player sh should scan or, or has the opportunity to scan. Uh, and really, we could look at it as um, on the ball and off the ball, and players should be engaging it in more off the ball. And that, that, that's where I, um, I suppose, I focus a lot of my, my efforts on because it's not just about what the player does when they've got the ball, what have they done in the few seconds in the build up to that that's helped them paint the best picture available to them that they're then able to make the best decisions. So I try and build sessions that encourage the players to scan frequently. And before I go into a session, like 
the, the, an analogy I try and use is like a camera where you've got you've got frame, frame rate and you've got shutter speed. Um, so frame rate would be is how how many frames the camera will take per per uh, second, um, which is equivalent to how many times do you move your head to take in a picture. Okay, um, if, if we think it like that. So, and that, that's what we've la what gears largely largely measured how quickly uh, or how frequently players move their head to to scan. Um, and then what we've got is shutter speed because it kind of links into what Glenn was saying. Shutter speed would be aligned with dwell time. When you put your eyes on something, how long do you need to keep your eyes engaged there in order to make sense of what you're seeing? So shutter speed, um, you know, how quickly, how short a period can you put your eyes on something and still make sense of it and take out the information that you need? So there's two components there that you're trying to work on. The first one, that players really need to develop this frame rate, you know, the, the behavior, the visual exploratory behavior, whatever terminology you want to put it, how often they move, or, uh, they move their head as they go around. So I'll put exercises where it's part of the condition of receiving the ball because I, I think it's really important that players develop this as part of their receiving skills. And they, they don't. What we do is we allow players to receive a ball and if you pass it to me, Saul, Training sessions allow me a lot of the time to look at the ball all the way from the moment it leaves your foot to the, the moment it arrives at my foot. And then the players look up. We're not encouraging them to develop this as part of their receiving skills when they're receiving the ball or even just as they're moving about preparing themselves to receive the ball. So my, my sessions will have a strong focus on that, particularly that, that last scan as the ball is on its way to them. They still need to look around beforehand so they know where what would be termed as information-rich areas are, where they need to direct that last look is, so they've prepared themselves to receive the ball. But even as the ball is on its way to them, can they have one last look away from the ball? Because you look at the best players in the world, that's what they're able to do on a consistent and regular basis. And sometimes when the ball is on the way to them, they're not just looking away once, they're looking away two or three times. Because... And that, we can, that can tie into what we mentioned earlier, but they're, they're comfortable with the technical component as well. You know, mm -hmm. so the, again, these things tie in. But I've had players that are good technically, but as soon as I ask them to start scanning and scanning at key times, the technical component suffers. But the better technically the player is, the, more, the quicker you can get them up to speed with things. Um, so the same, so the same, the same, sorry to interrupt, your, that same, you know, that crossing the road analogy, the first few times, they're like, what's going on? And then, you know, I suppose you adapt yeah. and you sort of, you know, time type. Yeah. So, Gordon, tell us the session, mate. Um, so just something like that. What, what, one of my, my favourite sessions to do with a group that I'm maybe working with first time is I'll split them into two colours, like blue and green. I'll have them in an area, whatever size area that you've got. Um However many players you've got, you might want to set up two areas, but um, pass in opposite colour. That's all it is. Nice and simple. Green's past the blues, blues past the green. Um, we'll get them going. I might ask them to think about their body shape as they're receiving because, and, and the important thing with body shape is it allows you a, a better field of view on, on the field, but it also tells the passer where you want the ball. So it's, it's crucial for both you and them. Um, but then what I'll do in the session, dead, dead simple, the passing thing offset, I'll put uh, what I call flashers that go around the outside and they just hold up whether it's a couple of coloured cones, different coloured gloves, one hand, two hands, whatever that may be. And the players in the session passing to an opposite colour, you've got a blue flasher on the outside and a green flasher on the outside. If you're in blue, Saul, when you're receiving a pass, you've got to spot and call it the colour that's getting held up by the blue flasher on the outside before your first touch. If I'm in green and I'm receiving a pass, I've got to spot and call it the colour that's getting held up by the green flasher on the outside. And importantly, I say you've got to have that last look and call the colour as the ball's on its way. Um, but importantly, what we get to the players' understanding is as well, that's not the first time you look. The first time I'm looking for the flasher on the outside is when the ball's on its way because all of a sudden what I'm doing then is, oh, where's my teammate? Where's my... I don't have that picture in my head. So as I'm... Yeah. What we coach the players to understand, and some of them figure it out themselves, some of them need a little bit of, you know, prodding here and there, is as you're moving about, can you think, where's the footballs? 
Where's my teammate? Where's the footballs? Where's my teammate? And consistently do that. Build a scanning pattern. Build a habit as you're thinking about where are you and where are the ball? Where are you in relation to the ball? Where's a key teammate around you? So they're building up that scanning pattern all the time. And then as they're receiving the ball, they've probably then, because they know where the flasher is on the outside, they've got two reference points. They've got the ball. They've got that teammate. They orientate the body position right. And as the ball's coming in, it's just that one last look just to check that. And it's just spotting the colour and calling it the colour. The colour isn't important. Knowing where your teammates are is important. So that that would be a really simple session to start them off. And I've done that with seven-year-olds. I've done that with professional first-team players. And and it works. Simple, but it works. Then what's your thoughts on that, mate? Yeah, really similar. What I like to try and do as well, so is sometimes streamline it through the session. So... If we say, look, guys, one of the main focuses might have a technical focus. They say, we're working on our receiving tonight, guys. Just how are we receiving the ball first foot, second foot? What are we doing with our first touch? But, you know, we all know the players with the best first touch usually are normally the most perceptive players with the best scanning and awareness because they put their first touch exactly where they want it for what they want to do next. So we kind of link the two in. And I might start with a, a simple game sort. So if I can kind of paint a picture of a session, I like thinking games, not just, not just the visual stuff. We'll get onto the visual stuff in a minute. But for example... They all get there. A little fun warm-up game. Don't need no equipment. You stand on one line. The goal line in the six-yard box is, is, uh, is the best place to do it, really. So I'm on the goal line. Oh, not, not if you're on a grass pitch, though. You don't want to tear the pitches up. <laughs> but um, simple six-yard races. And we say, right, the fastest player is going to win this. And everyone thinks about foot speed, but it's a thinking game. So we say, right, when I say go, run to the line. They all get to the line. Really proud of themselves. Okay, when I say go, go back to the other line. Then you start changing the word that they've got to focus on. So you say, right now, when I say a colour, at any time when I'm talking, if I say a colour, you move to that line. Now, all of a sudden, they've got to start to really pay attention to what I'm saying. And I obviously try and tie them in knots. For example, I might be talking and say, I felt really blue yesterday. And they just stand on the line. But one or two will jump and because they're thinking, tuning into what I'm saying. And just little, and it's a really fun game, to be honest. You can do, I've done it with six-year-olds right up to senior, like adult footballers or, or college-age footballers. So then all of a sudden, you're getting their brains in gear right from the start. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as there's a thinking element. You know, as simple as rock, paper, scissors when the weather's good as well, but then you change the commands and you put different things in there. Then I'll take that to like uh, what Kev said, maybe start getting colours involved now, where if you can picture it, you'll have a group of three or four one end, three or four the other end, 10 yards apart. And at one end, they're working on their receiving. So you might have a mannequin or a cone and just work on the absolute basics of getting them to check off and say to them, look, all I want you to do is this. And then they start to correct their body shape anyway. As you're receiving the ball, can you see the group that are playing down the other end? And what the group down the other end are doing is having a relay race with the other four groups alongside them. And they're carrying bibs. So they're carrying coloured bibs, like Kev said about the signalling for colours. And then you ask them, okay, so when you're receiving this ball, before your friend even the ball gets to you and he serves it to you, you must try and call out the colour of the bib in the hand of the person running. And then again, so all of a sudden they, they don't see it. And all of a sudden they might call it once every two or three. Before you know it, they're, they're moving a little bit wider. Why? Because that allows them to open their body more. They're turning their heads more frequently because they're desperate to look for the bib. And then once they start getting it, you refine it. Can, can you then tune in okay brilliant you spotted the bib every time there your mate said you scored five points in the last minute can you name the person carrying the bib so now they've not got to only look at the color of the bib oh johnny's so you just say johnny pink brilliant you spotted that johnny was running and he picked up the pink bib you know if I, I only go one more than that but i might say okay now can you determine what hand are they carrying the bib in so why i'm working my receiving and they're just having a fun relay race down the other end I'm just really consciously, and like Kev said, sometimes it disrupts it. So, and coaches have got to be really patient when the first touch goes wrong or the passes are horrendous because they're putting so much attention on spotting Johnny running with a pink bib in his right hand. That's a lot to take on. Do you know what I mean? And there's just little things like you can do in a session. And then literally when they go to the games, just try and notice it. As coaches, I think it's really important that we put our attention in the games towards scanning, which means not only asking the boys and the players, the girls to look away from the ball, we've got to look away from the ball. We've got to stop watching the ball in the training session, I think, and watch players' heads. Literally, if the ball's at left wing, can you focus in on Trent at right back, a young Trent, and what is he looking at and what is he looking for? And I think, again, it's just about streamlining it skillfully with a focus on scanning as, as a session practice or, or a skill to develop. A bit long-winded there, so, sorry. Oh, yeah, and I, I mean, you know, there's... Similarities both there. So what I'm getting from that is that I suppose 
you know, Kev, you're talking about there and Glenn, you're reinforcing that. It's basically just building those habits of, you know, awareness in, mm-hmm. you know, in every practice you're doing and looking up. I've got to be honest, I've never really done stuff like that. I mean, with my stuff more, looking up, I'm, you know, if I'm doing 2v2, 3v3s or to targets or 4v4s, I'm much more just about, um, like, playing on different lines, balance and movement. Move, I'm always talking about movement in relation to your teammates and that sort of thing where we're talking about, you know, if I move here, you move there. So you're trying to get players to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm being cynical about those things. I suppose, you know, like you said, you, you could have just an extra man, you know, there. So I have to take mm-hmm. another look there. So I suppose then, yep. you know, you just, I suppose it's just transferability, isn't it, really? Yeah, and, and that, that's what it's all about. So, so like I'll do, like, that, like I suppose, because I mentioned, like, an unopposed practice, the great thing there, Glenn's mentioned, it sounded effectively like it was a passing drill. Um, but that was my connotation. There's nothing the matter with that because what he's done is he's built other layers into there so players don't only look at the ball. And when I go out and do coaching clinics, I show coaches drills, right? So your basic A passes to B, you might follow your pass or you might run somewhere else, but it's unopposed and it's a drill. Um, or I'll show them an unopposed practice, what I've just uh, was the one I painted, which is a, a dynamic practice where they're in a playing area, but they've got freedom to move around as they want. And then you've got opposed practices, whether it's the, it's goal to goal, whether it's got another method of scoring, but you've got opposition. And I think like with the 2v2 and you're putting them in an area, they're great practices. I'm not saying don't do that, but what extra constraints that do we put in there? Because what happens is we put players in a 2v2 environment and they'll encounter that in the game, but in this 2v2 environment, we put them in the training, they then only focus within the confines of that area. Whereas in the game, a lot of the time, you might be in a 2v2 situation, but you still maybe need to know that. Or if you have the opportunity, can you know the bigger picture? Because actually, you might be playing 2v2 here, but then if you get the ball, you're going to try and do the big switch or you're going to play it. So, uh, so, what, so, so, what, so what, would you, what would you add to that 2v2 then? To I'm just trying to think of the top of your head there. So you've got a little tight space 2v2, then you're having what, someone on the perimeter with a, you know, yeah, someone, they, you know, that's sort of, you know. Well, and, other, and that, you know, constraints could you add on that? That, 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 that? That's it, exactly. So it could be, again, so it depends whether you want them to interact with those players on the outside. Or, so you could have a 2v2 if you're wanting to go or if you're not wanting to go. See, there's so many permutations how you might want to design your session. If you're on about just 2v2 possession going over an end line or going to a goal, you could have a flasher on... Um, either side of the pitch and what you're saying uh, to the player is if I'm receiving it from a player over here we're attacking that way and I'm receiving it from the player that's on my right before my first touch I've got to spot and call it the colour getting held up with the player at the field on the left and that just shows that can I be here but can I know what's over there as well yeah yeah, I'm just trying to think then it's like you know in ways you know I'm a grassroots coach I've got 12 players our week so I'm just trying to think what would you what could you do up there because you you know I know you've done some of this before like in the past like for example put something on an iPad you know 20 yards away whatever it is you know colours changing or something like that where you don't have to have a player there then you sort of use all the players ball rolling time that sort of thing yeah, well you could you could do that and and, and I, I do that particularly when I'm working with players as individuals I'll use the iPads with flashing colours and again it's not because the flashing colours are important or the iPads important it's, it's just to get their attention away from solely being on the ball that is, that is purely it. You're building a habit there that they're comfortable taking their eyes away from the ball. And that's what you're doing there. Some people will say when you're working with an iPad, well, we're working on decision-making now. If it's red, do this. If it's yellow, do it. That's no decision-making. You're telling the player yeah. what to do, right? So that's no decision-making. But it's a, it's, it's a great component to add when you're working individually. But in here, the important thing is I like it to be players that are there because I'll ask the players to move up and down the sides. They won't just stand yeah. in one spot. So therefore, that orientation changes just like it would in the game. Like if in that um, practice I described earlier, I'm asking the flashers to move around the entire area. Why? Because if they're just in one spot, the players will stop looking off the ball because they know where mm. that player is and will only look right. once they're getting the ball because they know so where they're mean, Because you're sort of saying, so yeah, so you've got something static there on a, on a tripod. Yeah. It's almost cheat, it's cheating, isn't it? I just look there, I can yeah. look there. I don't have to... Yeah. I'm, I'm not looking but, 360, interesting. Exactly. But if that's how you want to incorporate it, to me, that is better. If you want to promote extra scanning, that is better 
than having nothing at all because the st studies have shown that actually players, the, the training sessions that we do don't promote scanning as, as well as they should in comparison to the game. Like that, there was a Dutch study and I've, I've referred to, I've referenced it in my book. There was a Dutch study and they looked at top five players in, in Holland and the, the, there were six players, I, I think it was, at, um, I, I can't remember which club, but it was it, but their average amount of scans that they needed in a game was 0.44. So in, in the 10 seconds prior to receiving the ball, they looked around just over four times on average, right? So that's the 10 seconds prior to receiving the ball. And that's why this off-the-ball scanning is important. It's not just about the second. It's about what did you do in the 10 seconds prior to you receiving this ball? But then they looked at the, the, the structures that we used. They looked at small-sided games, possession games, passing and receiving drills and rondos. Now, hands up if you if you use those type of exercises. Me, because <laughs> yeah. that cut that covers everything that we use pretty much, you know. Um, but what they found is that in small sided games, the players only looked around um, on average three point six times in the ten seconds before receiving the ball. In the possession games, they only looked around just over two times in the ten seconds prior to receiving the ball. In the passing and receiving drills, they only looked around once in the 10 seconds prior to receiving the ball. And then in the rondos, it was ridiculously low. You know, it was, it was less than a third of a scan in the 10 seconds, right? So it was, it was ridiculously low. And that's not to say that these training formats are bad. No, that, that's what we've got. They have the tools that us coaches use. I'm saying as a coach, how can I add something to those type of exercises? How can I add an additional constraint that promotes extra scanning, that, that forces the players to scan more and develop this habit that we want because we're being shown that we can use these training exercises, but the players still don't scan as much as they need to end the game. So if we want to get them to scan more, we've maybe as coaches got to start thinking outside the box a little bit more and just say, is there extra stuff that we could add in? Now, what that extra stuff could be is, is up to the coach. Me, I, I have my way of doing it. I'm not saying that is the way of doing it. It's just a way of doing it. So coaches will come up, hopefully, with their own innovative stuff. If they want to, uh, you know, big borrow, steal my stuff and incorporate it in their own way and adapt it, that is great as well. I just think if we're going to say players need to look around more, as coaches, we need to help them do that. So then give us a night, because I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not averse to doing a bit of a rondo every now and then, depending on the age, but I mean, so how could you improve the scanning in a run, and this guy you're talking about, you know, Chavi in Barcelona, you know, their, their, you know, their methodology is built on rondos and positional games, isn't it? Yeah, and and like, like so, so, I mean, you're putting me on the spot, which is great, but the, you know, it depends <laughs> on what kind of rondo you want. So the permutations yeah. are endless. So I can give you one. Well, 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 let, let, well let me give you my one. Let me give you mine because this is because obviously I'm selfish here. I need to help me with mine. So basically, obviously, the classic one. I did one the other night. Which was basically um, two v two plus to two targets. Well, still a run though. But say, for example, four v two classic. If I'm going to teach possession, the young players, I'll do three v one, four v two. They're for me the best format in terms of teaching players about possession football, about angles of support, movement, rotation, split passes. For me, that's it's, 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 it's the best, right? So, how can I improve those two? Okay, so with those two. <clears throat> um... So what you're on about, you're, you've really got no player in the, the middle there. They're generally working on the, the, yeah, well, the outside we, of the area, so yeah. around well, the well, opponents. Yeah, well, mine, mine won't be out. So they'll be in a square. I don't like that one where you've got yeah. to move sideways or the line, like you're like a robot saying, no, it's like a rubbish. No, I mean, I'll be, oh, for me, they're always in the square. You've got to move, rotate, so stretch yeah, the pitch. Yeah, you, yeah. you might be confined within a playing yeah. area, but yeah, generally yeah, they're yeah, going yeah. to be positioned outside or yeah. around the opposition. Yeah. Yeah, so with something, yeah, yeah. something like that, and I, showed, I actually showed it in my, uh, one in my book, the example, notice a Liverpool, like a Liverpool rondo. I'd, I'd seen it on YouTube. Uh, it was for a Liverpool training session that had the magic player in the, the middle that you were restricted to one touch. Um, and again, so it kind of ties into, similar to what you're saying, and all I say is, get somebody extra going around the outside that any time that you're receiving the ball, you've got to, scan and try and call it the colour before your first touch. Because what that mm. does is, instead of just focusing in here all the time, you've still got to pay attention to that. As the ball's moving, players will go, where's that player on the outside? Right, I know where, 
it's a scam straight away off the ball you're promoting them thinking about not just this not just where the ball is and then it's when i'm receiving the ball right it could be off a trigger player it could be off any player and you go can you spot and call it the color as the ball's on its way to you and they might be successful they might not be successful but what the chances are what you'll do is you'll promote off the ball scanning and you'll promote them trying to have that last late look and again the let me do interrupt there because it's interesting. My first thought was like, oh, yeah, but it's tight space, it's really quick. But then what you said earlier is that, you know, if I think the ball's coming to me, I'm checking yeah. and I tend to, yeah. before the ball comes, you know, a ball might be coming to me, then I'm looking, where is that that thing? And I suppose yeah. that's, that's a skill, that, isn't it? And that's it because if you uh, back to it, these rondo type exercises, yep, they replicate a little microcosm of the game that might happen on the field. But it is a microcosm, yeah. it's a small area on the field that it might be a, a 10 by 10, but the, the, the field's, you know, 120 by, by, by 80 or whatever the numbers are. You know, so it's a small... Mm. you still got to know what the bigger picture is because you might yeah. be the Busquets and that you're playing in here and you might keep the ball in here, but you might want to play that ball over there. So you've got to have had a look. But if we uh, put yeah. players in rondos that just allow them to only look in here in this little confines, well, that's the habits that you're developing then. That is the yeah. habit. Yeah, they're going to move the ball a bit quickly, but they're also going to look like this. A lot of the time. So, and again, I'm just trying to give little examples that uh, there's a multitude of variations. Like I do a 4v4 plus 3. You know, everybody loves a 4v4 plus 3 nowadays, a, don't they? It's a Guardiola special, add, isn't it? Yeah, but I'll add in my layers. I'll add in my constraints that, that then force the players to scan more than the normal 4v4 plus 3 would maybe demand of them. So, mm. uh, so, and again, back to this, I'm not saying these exercises are the good. I think the great exercise is just, is there a way that we could add in further constraints that promote extra scanning? Now, I've found my way. So another coach will possibly find another way. Like, like, like Glenn saying, you could have a 4v4 plus 3 and you could have a relay race over there. Same thing, right? Whenever you're receiving the ball, can you call it who's holding the bib and running? over there it's the same principle all you're trying to do is develop this habit of not only looking at the ball that's it so let me throw, throw a cat amongst the pigeons here because obviously some you know a lot of time i'm working doing individual stuff or a team ball mastery stuff sometimes i'll actually uh consciously sacrifice the head up play in terms of trying to get movement outcomes so mm -hmm. you say you know because that's you know develop you know, that ball mastery that high intensity quality explosive dynamic movement i'll say right okay Want to play that up sometimes just get yeah, focused on boom, speaks by speech, and they can actually forfeit the head up to then progress later down the line. Okay, now we've got those moves, now you get the head up and that sort of things. What what's your thoughts on that? I suppose it's about when and where, and I suppose making, you know, about making those decisions about you know when you're gonna get those in or not. Well, I, I, me, I try and include them at, at every opportunity, but I understand when you're coaching, sometimes there, there's compromises that are made because of what you're trying to bring out in the session. Exactly the way we design our sessions, probably because, like as Glenn mentioned earlier, we've decided on here's what we're going to try and be doing in this session. So our our, our sessions are geared towards promoting that aspect. Now it doesn't necessarily mean that you're completely sacrificing everything else, but there's probably something that they're needing to do less of in that session in order to promote promote the aspect that you're trying to focus on. So again, isolated work. <laughs> You know, back to we'll have this conversation all the time. The people that turn around and say, oh, there's no transfer. I'm like, well, that's it. Stop the kids going out into the backyard and playing with the ball then, you know, unless they've got, you know, 20 friends to come around and join them so they yeah. can play again. No, I, so, but I think if, if players are working individually, um, any little opportunity, like we've mentioned, using an iPad or whatever, it's not just so they need to look at that all the time. You might decide... Can you try and look at it here? Can you look at it there? As soon as you take that touch at your feet, can you lift your eyes and call it out? Or before you're going to receive the pass, can you call it out? After you've passed it to me, can you call it out? Whatever constraints that you put in there. But I would have it in there, and you can make it a, a regular demand, you can make it a semi-regular demand. But again, it's just something there that helps them think about, I am not only going to look at the football here, and to me, yeah. that's the important thing. That I just don't want them looking at the football all the time and looking at the ball all the way from your foot into their foot. But back to yeah. like you say, you might go, wait there, to start with, we're just going to focus on this without that because I think we need to prioritise this. 
And there's nothing the matter with that as long as you're, you're a knowledgeable coach, right? So you understand, here's where I'm putting them just now, and here's where I'm going to take them. So you know where you're going, whereas some people say, nah, never, never train in isolation. Well, of course you're going to train in isolation. And of course you're going to yeah. do things because you need to refine your, your techniques and, and learn things. Just, just, just going on there, talking about that look when looking at the ball. Just because that's some of the interesting. So before I could bring Glenn back in, I'm conscious then I'm bringing for a while, mate. Sorry, but that Yeah, George Yeah, George Amazing. Like, so what was really interesting about his work on Trip was that it was just very tangible. It was almost he talked about you know when to look on the ball, when to look up. So the, when the player has the ball at the feet, that's not when you're looking away. When the ball's mm. taking touch out, that's when you look away. That's what I found the most in, insightful and interesting because that's something actually, you know, whether I'm working individually with a player or with a group, that's something you can give to the, the group and say, right, there you go. That's like Glenn said, that's measurable. That is it. That's, you know, that's, you know, that is, you know, that's your bread and butter, isn't it? That's, that's, that's what was really interesting. So what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Um, it's important that you, you get the players to understand when to, when to look um, and, when not to look. So the important thing is you've mentioned there, when not to look is when, when your uh, teammate or when the ball is actually getting touched. When the outlet of it's yeah. a pass, as the, 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 that player's foot is connecting with the ball, you should be looking at the ball. Um, and if you had my DVD for 2010, you would have understood that. But <laughs> um, no, uh, in all serious, uh, in, so, so that's the time when you need to look at the ball because in those first few fractions, what you need to assess is how is that ball coming at me? Or how is that ball travelling? You know, is it coming to the left mm. a bit? Is it coming to the right a bit? What's the pace of it? And once you've yeah. done that, you can then look away from the ball because you know where it's going. You can adjust your feet as you're having a quick glance somewhere else to take in that information before putting your attention back on the ball. Um, so the key times when to look away uh, or when you should scan is like when you're receiving a pass. So that's one of those that we're on about. You've got to look at the ball and your teammate as they're passing you the ball. But as then the ball is on its way, can you have that one last look away? Um, and again, as I say, some of the top players can look two or three times. But can you look away there to get that last updated pitch feel to help inform your decision? After playing a pass, so if I'm... Sorry? Go on, mate, go on. Sorry, Ken. Carry on. Uh, after playing a pass, so if I play a pass to you, as soon as I've played the pass, again, I need to gauge. I'm going to look at the ball and try and figure out, is that going to achieve what I intended? And a lot of the better players will be able to tell that by the feel. Um, but again, as the ball's travelling from me to you, kind of have a look somewhere else that's going to inform my decision-making. Um, as the ball's travelling between two players, so as the ball, I'm passing the ball to you, Saul, as the ball's travelling between me and you, Hicksy's over here, He's thinking I could get involved in the play. There's an opportunity. The ball's travelling between Kevin Saul. I'm going to have a look up the field or in the field, whatever it may be, to get a picture. Um, and then in between touches, so again, we've talked about when, you, like it could be your teammate, could be an opponent, but when your teammate's got the ball and in between the touches, so say it's the centre-half and they've got the ball, yeah. they take a touch, moves it at their feet. As that ball is at their feet, can you have a quick look away? Again, update your picture so you're best prepared to when to receive the ball. And that's not, that's more when there's a bit of time in between touches as opposed to you're knowing about your, your winger dribbling in quick touches to get past somebody. Yeah, yeah, it was, that, it, was that, it, it, was, it was that. It was it was it was a centre back bringing the ball out. That was the one. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was interesting. So that's you know that's great. Glad not bring it back in, mate. So what, oh, I've really enjoyed thing? listening, mate. To be honest, um, now a few things. Just taking it back a little bit to some of the, the comments a minute ago. So. For, for me, so I, I'm not rigid in my thinking in terms of practice. I'm not one of these. I'm not at war with any practice. I, uh, I do technical practice. I do small-sided games, rondos. For me, it doesn't matter what practice you do, in my opinion. You could just literally say, right, guys, we're going to play a 7v7 game. I think what really, really matters is, is where we focus our coaching or teaching attention mm -hmm. and where we focus our players' learning attention. So as long as we we are clear, we, we, we speak with clarity and we say, okay, guys, this is not just what we're learning, but this is the stuff we're going to be looking at. For example, little Johnny, you're playing centre-back at the moment, so you find yourself really deep. You can see the game in front of you, but what I've noticed you can't see is when the right-back's on the ball, you're not noticing the left-back. So all I want you to do, all I want you to do is look for him a bit more. And when the ball's with the left-back, can you see the right-back? Now, 
if he don't make one good pass all night, but he's looked 10 times, when the ball's with the left side of the pitch, he's looked over to the right side, which means he's probably dropped off and give a bit more depth. He's opened his shoulder. He's done all the things just, just by guiding, guiding his thought process. Because a lot of the time, um, we, we don't, I know it sounds, I've heard this a lot in football, um, we don't know what we don't know, right? And sometimes if we change players' perception just by doing that, just putting a different thought on it before the session, you can have an incredible session without doing all these complex uh, training exercises. So I'm not for or against the practices, but again, what I would say is whether you're doing the warm-up drills like me and Kev said with the colours and stuff like that, or you're doing your favourite rondo saw with, with a little 4v2, it, for me, it really doesn't matter. But what... What you need to know is, so I'll give you a picture and I, and I try and frame this scanning. So a 4v4 with four around the outside, right? For me, let it be multi-directional. So it's blues v yellows in the middle, pinks are on the outside. Let them play in all directions. And the objective is just keep the ball. You've got an eight versus 12, massive overload, keep the ball. But what we're focusing on is before you receive the ball, did you know where you was going to play your pass? And there's two things that give that away. Or, or did you know where your first touch was going? The things that give that away is, are they pushing their first touch into space away from pressure? Have they played really clean, accurate passes? Is it a safe pass around the sides or is it a brave one through the middle? Because if it's a brave first time pass through the middle, punched in the gap, you know there's been a lot of perceptive work to, to see that gap still there. And then you can change that even further. So you say, right, now we're going to go six, turn this into a 6v6. So pinks play up the, the area. So you've got four pinks in the middle with two pink target players. So you're playing vertically. Blues now. So the yellows, in essence, have come out of the outside. So blues, you're playing across the pitch. So now it's just ch channeling the direction in a bit more. But now you can give them position-specific focus. So you're at the bottom of the game. You're like a five or six, like centre-back. Okay, you're playing like centre-back. So what I want you to be looking for is when this ball gets played back to you, can you see a forward pass? And if you see them playing a simple five-yard pass, you might say, okay, can you see the pass to the number nine right through the grid? Or can you see the number 10? So you've got a centre-back, you've got like the four, eight, 10 free midfielders, and then you just start channeling what they're seeing. Okay, great little pass to the first player. Can you play through the lines to the number nine at any point? Does it in two touch? Brilliant. Can you do it in one touch? Because if he's going to do it in one touch, he's going to need to be, or she's going to need to be looking a lot sooner, be a lot braver. There's going to be a lot more pressure on it. So again, for me, that's, I think that's all, though, comes from, and I think this is the biggest part, us as coaches in general, and this is why I really enjoyed listening the last 15 minutes, is we've got to develop our knowledge more if we're going to impart it on our players. So we've got to go through all the complexities of it if we're going to be able to give our young players, and, you know, it's got to be really age and ability sensitive because I know there's talk about Xavi, but Xavi at eight years old was probably chaotic. You know, it's probably tons of mistakes and, you know, what he's probably had to go through to get the genius football brain where he is was, was probably chaos at times. Um, but I, I think it's important that, that we've got the understanding of what is the message I'm giving to the player and have they really got that with clarity? And then I think if they have, I genuinely think it doesn't matter what the practice is. It matters how they're practising, if that makes sense. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and just, um, I mean, before we, we're going to wrap up soon, just you mentioned your book as well about body shape. And I suppose that's like maybe, you know, sort of thing you take for granted or you know those things but those all those those you know those, those body positions really key if you're just going to scan right if you can't you know square on you can't see around the back that's going to limit mm. your kids now right oh yeah um you know obviously you, you, you might be um trying to disguise your body shape uh, but a lot of the time players have poor body shape when they receive the ball like so to try and link in where you know like glenn mentioned uh, a 4v4 plus uh, uh, four on the outside, and so again, I'll I'll use similar exercise. I just throw my my daft constraints in as well. So if it goes out to a player on one side, the player on the opposite side has to hold up. We'll call it a visual cue, right? Um, it could be color cones, pennies, one hand, two hand, but whatever it is, right? And I say the player that's then receiving the ball from the outside player needs to spot and call it the color getting held up at the far end or the opposite end. So that gets the players straight away. You'll see a difference in behaviours. And when I show these types of exercises on coaching courses or work with players and ask the coaches to look at the players, straight away they see the body shape changes. Now, mm. you might already be working with players that understand it, but you'll see them often coming to the player at the side a bit too square on. They've not really had a look. They've not had a look up the field. But now I've put a constraint in that gets them thinking about 
right, I want to get the ball off this player, but I need to think about what's up the field up there or across the field over there. So as I'm going in, can I think, right, where are they on that line? Right, where are they? As the ball's coming in, I've got a better body shape that then facilitates that one last look and promotes me maybe going that way. So body shape's hugely important because it'll maximise your field of view in any situation and minimise the amount of head movement that you might need to make in order to have that final look to the area that you want to go and exploit. So again, it's it's you know a lot of these things can be can be done in sessions and. I feel that, again, this is just mapping, that we, we ask players to do things, but they don't, are we forcing them to do it and or are we just assessing the outcome? So again, like Glenn's mentioned, great examples of can we promote this, can we promote that? And, and you'll see the players executing it, but did we notice how often they looked, even though they chose not to play that pass, right? So we'll see, oh, they did play that pass, great. So... But part of the game is still looking in these areas and maybe deciding to do something else, right? So again, for the example, like he's saying, you might be the centre-back, can you hit the nine or the 10 up the other end? You could put a constraint of, again, any time I'm going to be receiving the pass, the player up the other end, that number nine, that number 10, just holds up a visual cue. So when I'm receiving the ball, I need to scan up the field and call it that colour. And I might call it, scan and call it the colour and play the pass, and that's double bubble then. They get two points for that. Or it might be that the spot and call it the colour, realise the pass isn't quite on, but play this one. Now you've understood, ah, you know what? They did have a look up there to see if that option was on, but they also knew that option was there as well, and they decided to go for that one. And again, depending on what you're trying to promote, you might say, look, can you really try and see if you play that pass? I get that. But now you've got them, the players understanding, let's look in different areas. And it's really, again, that habit. And we talk about Xavi and, I mean, the guys, the guy was incredible, decent career, eh? Not bad at all. But, you know, the question is, is it maybe because he was a small guy and wasn't he blessed with pace in relative terms, that actually that was the coping mechanism that he did he naturally develop that because of his size and limitations that he was like, I'm playing against these bigger, faster players. I need to do something that's going to help me cope and compete here. So again, we might have players back to this nature v nurture thing. With him, did he maybe develop it naturally because of the physical constraints that he has as a person? Um, and that doesn't mean to say then that we just leave it to being, oh, well, yeah, you developed it naturally, so well done. You get in through the gate. Or do we go to the other players? You haven't developed it quite. How do we get you closer to that level? How do we help you add something to your game that will help you be a better player? So again, um, it's just like, and, and Glenn's come up with, I love the suggestions and ideas that he's come up with because ultimately, if this is going to be an important topic, we've got to help the players develop it. It can't be just this old-fashioned, check your shoulder. Hey, we've all heard, remember, check your shoulder. What does that even mean? If you haven't developed the habit in the first place, it's just it's just some, you know, fancy phrase to say that you think makes you a good coach. Whereas if we help them develop the habits and then it's just a quick cue to then reinforce that habit and, and get them thinking about it. Oh. Yeah, that's also, I mean, a couple of things there because you talk about, you know, it's, it's a skill, isn't it? So you want tangible mm -hmm. things like can you check, you know, can you look before the ball comes, when the ball's moving, that sort of thing. And you talk about Javi as well, because I think of Javi, I just think he's just, you know, he's a very intelligent guy, isn't he? He's a, he's a thinking man's footballer. And so that's, I suppose, my sort of last thing sort of here would be like, you know, think about your thing, you know, creating a culture and having that, trying to build those habits in. In my sessions, I'm always, you know, especially I'm working with the older players, you know, is that talking about, you know, playing when you head out, we're looking for two and three player movements, different lines, that sort of thing. And every practice talking about that, isn't it? So, so it's the different ways to do it, but so it's just having that theme run concurrently through all your sessions isn't it having that consistency run through it the biggest takeaway i'm taking your kev is that because a lot of my stuff is small side small side is tight spaces which then i've talked about and that's what interests me is that you know having that additional like you know i can see that 30 40 yards that sort of thing because you, when you're coming out of that because it's whole intensity 1v1 2v2 3v3 4v4s tight spaces deal with the ball but then having that awareness of what else is going on, that's for me, that's something interesting. I want to sort of take away. Glenn, what about any takeaways? No, you I, want think, to I think there's some really, um, they're almost laws of football. So in my opinion, they're, 
there are some universal things that if we play the football 100 years ago, we play another 100 years. At the end of the day, there's 22 people on the football pitch. If them rules don't change, and, and people talk about time and space, but, you know, every time I've watched a game of football, you know, if the game's at Old Trafford, then the size of the pitch is always the size of the pitch. The penalty box is still 44 by 18. The six-yard box is six by 20. The spaces don't really change. What changes is the position of the people on the pitch in terms of how much position, um, space and time they're going to give you to play. So I know there's this obsession where the game's about time and space, but, well, it's 90 minutes today in the Manchester derby, um, probably 96, 97, whatever you want to call it. The same time and space is going to be available. There's going to be 22 players. And for me, when you look at the likes of Jao Cancelo, for example, for me is one, a highly perceptive player in terms of scanning, thinking, just an incredibly rounded footballer, six foot tall. You know, the sports science team have done incredible to develop a physical machine. And they've obviously been allowed to do the uh, specific isolated work. He's obviously done incredible technical work but for me the football brain that's on his shoulder says that he can go in any position on the pitch and I would say I try and think okay where has that come from and when I know we we reference Xavi a lot so but when you look at the young Pedri and Gavi and Busquets for me is the most phenomenal scanner of a football pitch because he shouldn't really get it right by the things that we've been topical and trendy with about athletes and you know, he's six foot four or five. Um, I really don't mean this to disrespect to Busquets, but he, he looks a bit awkward. Um, he doesn't look like your typical footballer in terms of athletically. Um, but my God, he sees things like he's three, four steps ahead. And and again, you look you look at that from a Barcelona point of view in terms of the culture. And I think it's the best place to, to focus it on because they've produced time after time, these perceptive footballers. And you've got to think to yourself, it ain't just the rondos for me. I know there's this obsession and we've got to be careful not to become copycat coaches. And yes, they're playing rondos a lot, but I believe there's a lot of 1v1 domination stuff in there as well. You know, Busquets is 1v1 dominant against any type of player. And there's a player that used to play for Barcelona that makes me think a lot as well. So um, Yaya Torre started his career at the back end of the pitch. He was predominantly... Uh, a centre-half and in a, a holding midfielder for Barca, but he ended for Manchester City for three seasons in a row, playing like a really dynamic number 10. And I think as coaches, we've got to be skillful enough to not just expect the diminutive little players um, that have to survive, like Kevin said, on their intelligence, their technique, their really clever movement. You know, I say to, to, to players, if you don't want to get pushed, don't get tagged. If you think that six-foot-two boy there that's bigger and stronger, don't be close enough for them to tag you. Then they've got an awareness thing about the defender then. But we've also got a, a responsibility to big, powerful players like Yaya Torre. You know, don't just stick him at each end of the pitch. Don't stick him at the back because he can kick the ball the furthest because he, I think they'll only develop a certain set of skills in terms of scanning and awareness. We have to, at times, say, OK, in terms of a result on a Sunday in an under-9s or under-12s game, it might affect the, the winning or losing part. But for this young man's development, you know, because if, if we don't put the big players in at number 10 as well, sometimes to win in amongst the chaos and we just use them to their physical dominance, what you end up with, and I find this a lot with 16, 17-year-old players that were naturally powerful as youngsters, they really do have slower football brains. And I don't, I, a lot of them, and I, and I mean that not as disrespect to them, but they're a product of their environment. They was used for their pace, power, height, and uh, yeah. they've underdeveloped the skill of thinking. So my message to coaches would be, make sure this is something where you're trying to expose all players to it. And, you know, tight pitches, big, big spaces, just as long as, again, we know what the focus is and we're tuning that into scanning, perception, thinking, and basically coaching from the shoulders up, like I said, um, then, then I think we're on to a winner. And the fact we're having conversations, I think we've got to be scared not to get it wrong as well. Because if this is a new thing that a lot of people have never coached, just just try, just explore. Does it work? Doesn't it work? Because we're asking the same of our players. So so don't be scared to, to get stuff wrong in this with this stuff yeah, I think as well. What you said, I mean, it's what Kevin said earlier, wasn't it? Is that, you know, you evolve and you, you sort of, you build, develop skills to help you survive when you talk about jabbing. And like you said, it's a big thing in the English game. I'm quite critical of you get a big, strong, athletic boy, quick, good on one foot, really good in the younger age groups, not necessarily technically developed because it's so successful, but you've got to see past that and say, well, he's not as good as we thought, playing in centre midfield, blah, blah. I think we get that a lot. Uh, just as well, just uh, Pedri wasn't, didn't come out of the Messiah, did he? They brought Pedri and I think they brought... Busquets came quite late as well. So just about interesting because they come from, yeah, yeah, I think come a little bit later. But anyway, we come from different environments. But just, um, Kev, I'm going to let you wrap up. 
because obviously this is you know you're the specialist here. So before you before you do, just tell us a little bit about your book because I've got it. It's fantastic. Tell us about it and where we can get it. Well, well, first of all, can I actually tap into uh, you know build on Glenn's point because uh, I thought <laughs> I thought sorry, and, and this is you know when you chat with me, I could be here for hours and hours. I know you've only yeah, got yeah. so much time. But I thought that some of the stuff that Glenn said was brilliant there. And this ties in with the fact that scanning, the way you, you then maybe need to apply your scanning habit can be position specific, it could be team specific, it could be game specific. And, you know, I've, I've started hearing a lot of people talking about, oh, we've got to coach the players um, this position specific scanning because the way strikers scan is different from the way central defenders scan is different from yeah. the way centre midfielders scan now but the thing is what I say to them yeah I, I understand that as well at what point do you decide you're going to coach uh, a seven-year-old position specific scanning then yeah. or do you help them be a 360 player and then they've got the scanning habits that no matter where they end up on the field they, they can play right and they can yeah. then refine and, and utilise the specific scanning habits they need because they've got 360, now they just need to scan like that. And we had a player, uh, talking about players that he mentioned, Yaya Toure moving up at the field. When we were at Partick Thistle, we had Paul Payton, he was a right back. And with my sessions, he, you know, he, he struggled to start with, but, you know, he walked it, you know, he walked and he tried. And he got better and he got better at it. And in fact, the second season over there, the new players that were coming in, he was coaching them within the session about what they had to do. So he really took it on board. And we moved Pates from, I say we, you know, Jackie moved Pates from right back to centre midfield. And all of a sudden he was a playmaker and getting the ball, switching it and bringing their wide players into play. And we were playing some fantastic stuff at this time. And then Pates was the first player that Jackie signed at Dundee United. And he played great in midfield there. So... Again, Pate's already had the technical component. He could pass the ball. He understood the game. Adding this extra component to his game helped him unlock all that and utilise it to a more, you know, a more maximum level. So, you know, it's it's. It, I thought that was a really important point, with Glenn, about you know, yeah. players. I think you're just move just the field. Kev, I just and also look and again, Glenn's a big fan. Look at Harry Kane against Man City, and it you know someone as a nine drops deep as a ten can play everywhere. And obviously, someone you know we say at Spurs, obviously you know work when Harry was there is that you know all you want all your players to have midfield qualities. Yeah. So yeah. whether they say they want to play for you know box box players, the technical means, but the ability to look and play and be a playmaker, whether you're right back or wing back, and I think they said right, you know, talk about position specific stuff, but really you know generally for you know development is about. Just producing, you know, your all-round players in it. Yeah, yeah. So I, th I think in terms of a, if you picture the game like I said previously, like a rondos, like a big circle. When the game's at its most expansive, you've got this. That's a four-three-three, just for argument's sake. Two centre backs giving depth. You've got the full backs or wide players, or if they're Liverpool, they might be slightly inside. You've got the striker giving height. So you've got your height, width, and depth. But for me, in terms of focus, it's a really good point. And you know, sort of the club we worked at that you're trying to develop develop players in terms of perception, in terms of to have midfield attributes. And, and all that really means is can they play inside the play? Can they play with, with pressure on their back? Because if I'm just a right winger like Sterling was at 1920, he's going to be limited. But the minute he comes inside the play for Guardiola and he starts working on his what's going on his blind side and what are his body shapes like and all the stuff we've spoke about, you've got a different player on your hands. And there's one player I saw while we're on this thing about, I think culturally we've We've been really lazy down the years and I've seen it with my junior teams as well. When I grew up playing football, the left-footed player in your team normally ends up left-back or left-wing. It just, for the so-called balance of the game, when I'm looking at thinking, well, actually, put a right-back, put a right-footer there so he can go and work on his left foot. Did you see little yeah. Johnny, the left-foot wizard? There's your Phil Foden. One of the biggest achievements yeah. by this country the last few years, I haven't seen it often, is we've got a left-footed magic number 10. That doesn't happen often. Whereas yeah. David Silva and traditionally, you know, Bernardo Silva, when you go Latin America, Paolo Dybala, Lionel Messi, if they're the best players, if they're the bravest, if they can play the best in the tight space, with this incredible scanning awareness in the brain game, you know, just chuck them yeah. in the middle of the pitch. So for me, Phil Foden is what we've got to look at as a culture in this country to say that is brilliant that we've produced that because you go to 90% of grassroots pitches and to be honest, some academy games as well, for me, you might have the best football brain playing at left back. And again, look at Joel Cancelo at right back is an exceptional football brain. Yeah. You've got to be careful not to fall into them traps when we're coaching. I think that's, 
as well. I think it's a great, great point. It's almost cultural, isn't it? It's like, you know, he's a bit little for stick him outside. You know, we want the big boys in the middle, like get back and forth, blah, blah, blah. You know, old school English, British football, isn't it, really? Mm. And I'm just off topic there. You know, Ajax have been there, one of my favourite places to visit. They talk about they left foot is having something, something different, I mean, being a bit special in terms of their cognitive ability. And they maybe mm-hmm. talk about it because it's very Croy flavor talking about Maradona, how left left foot players have something a little bit special about them. And you know, in that culture, they're actually celebrating even more and they build the team around. But listen, we go off topic, we could be here all night, Kev. You've got to tell people about this book, mate, because this book is uh, a game changer. Tell us about the book. Uh, well, it's just, you know, I finally managed to, to, to work with the publisher and get it. They did great work. I did it with the Soccer Tutor, so you can get it for soccertutor.com and you can... You can uh, download an ebook there, so you can get an instant thing. I still, I love ebooks, but I still like having a hard copy of a book as well. But you can go to Amazon or whatever. But yeah, I'd, I'd been kind of working on that project for a while with them, and we finally got there. And uh, Alex Fitzgerald was was the guy that did all the graphics and a lot of work for me. And it really just kind of pours my thoughts out and. It's kind of three components where there's a bit of the theory stuff to start with, which I think it's important to have a bit of underpinning knowledge there. Um, talk about how and why I do it, and then there's some exercises at the end as well. Uh, the way I tried to do it, though, I wasn't just want to give. I could give a thousand and one exercises to people, and they can copy and paste them. But what I tried to show is here's what I do, here's why I do it, and here's how I incorporate it, that if you have any of your favourite sessions, then you could probably look at something in the book and go, all right, okay, I can try and add it in this way, into this session. So I'm not asking you to change the sessions that you use, I'm just saying, can you think about adding in additional constraints? So I've got that out, it came out uh, a few months ago. Give us the full title, Kev. Give us the full title. It's called Scanning, How to Train It and Develop Game Awareness. There you go. And uh, I was very fortunate to have a copy slown out to me here and it's uh, I can't recommend it enough. Top, top draw. But listen, Kev, thanks very much. We're going to let you get back to your minus 20 degrees weather, whatever it is like that, just down the Ontario. Uh, and uh, thanks very much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Glenn, as usual, thanks, mate. And uh, I'll see you, see you next time. But thanks very much, guys. It's been fantastic. Welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family.